Take your Bible, please. Uh, I, I have a challenge this morning, much like last week. Uh, remember last week I didn't finish the sermon from 9 o'clock? I didn't finish it today either. So I want to make sure I finish at the right spot <laughs> so that next week I can continue where I left off at 9 o'clock and do the same thing at this service. So anyway, we're in, we're in Luke 24. Uh, this is a continuation, part two, of Go Send, really? Uh, from Luke 24, uh, starting at verse number 44. And uh, if, if, you, if you missed it before, I said that the early service, uh, we had a, a baby dedication, we had special prayer for the love fountains, and uh, there was an anointing in that service, I've got to tell you. We stopped at 10.15, we could have kept going, but I, we had to get ready for this one. But um, I'm trusting the Lord that the overflow from that one will rest upon this one, and really the Lord will speak to our hearts in a special way. But I'm in Luke 24, uh, starting at verse number 44. Uh, Jesus was, uh, was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. Uh, he was, dur- during the, there's time, he was during, uh, in this 40-day window where he was appearing to people, right before he ascended into heaven, he has these words to say uh, to, the, to the apostles that were there. So Luke 24 and verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Father, thank you for your word, your living word that's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. May the word of God penetrate our heart, mind, soul, spirit, O God. And may you be glorified through this message, Lord. May the church be edified and encouraged through it. Father, I pray your blessing upon me as I'm the vessel you're using today to bring forth the word. Let me speak words that will touch lives and give you praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Before I get started, uh, one of the emails I sent this week was pertaining to uh, Governor Baker's uh, words regarding precautions uh, in Massachusetts, where I guess we're in the second wave. Uh, those precautions do not affect the church. I checked a couple of sources. However, we want to reiterate the policy that we had in the first place. To so walk in that door with the mask and be seated. If you're six feet apart, you could take your mask off. If you want to, you don't have to. But when you, when you walk around or go out at the end, go out the front door, put your mask back on. So that's the, that's the, uh, the rules that we're following. So I just want to reiterate that to you. Uh, and uh, I trust that you'll honor that. So anyway, this is part two of last, last week's message. This is week two of Missions Month. I want you, to, want you to see the map over there. Thank you, Juanita, for that. That's a beautiful thing. We have a table set up. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, does everyone have your list of missionaries? Please keep that with you. Uh, there's some more available now if you need them. Does anyone need it now? Raise your hand if you do. 
All right. Uh, those at home, I'll probably send an email with all the missionaries on it. If you need it here, raise your hand. Esther will give it to you right now. Because you're going to need it in a little bit. Okay, good. There's a few around here, Esther. Thank you. Uh, let me remind you, this coming Friday is our missions celebration night, 630 to 8 o'clock. We have three missionaries uh, coming to speak to us. Uh, no dinner or anything like that. We have some special things going on. But uh, please uh, sign up with Esther if you didn't. And uh, we'll get together this, this Friday night at 630. Uh, also on November the 29th, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to give you Faith Promise pledge cards so that you can fill out the card and let us know how much you're trusting God to bless you with financially in uh, 2021 to give towards missions. This would be above and beyond your tithe, but we want to establish our missions budget based upon the pledges that come in. So that'll be the last Sunday of the month. Well, before I get too uh, into the message today, I want to invite a, a young man up here to share his heart with us. Uh, Thierry Mugabe uh, was born in Rwanda, educated in the States, and the Lord is calling him to the mission field. You know him very well. Give our brother a warm welcome as he comes. Good morning, church. It is really nice to be back here. I was, I, I went to this church for two years and a half when I was a student at North Point. And, um, and so, as you know, some of you have shared before, I, I was saved in high school. I met a classmate of mine by the name of Alex. High schoolers, but it's one of those people that you meet in life and you know there is something different about them. There is a peace about them. There is, there is love. They're real people. They don't fake anything. They're real. They, you like to be around them. Everybody does. And that thing different about him was Jesus. He knew Christ. He was a prayerful high schooler. He knew God and he loved him and he shared Jesus with me. At that time, I wasn't in the best situation. I was in a refugee camp. Life, life was not the best. One night, I was think, thinking about myself, my future. As, as I was, I couldn't see a future for myself. I mean, everything was hopeless. And I thought death would be better for me. And then, as a good Catholic, I thought about death. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Like every one of you have done it at some point. I thought somehow God is going to find a way I'm going to end up in heaven. But I wasn't sure. And, and then I, I was, and then my friends, Alex, popped up in my mind. And I knew for sure he's going to heaven. And other people that live like him are the ones that are going to heaven. And I knew I wasn't like him. And that thought just frightened me. I knew that time, if I would die, or if I was going to leave, the time I'm going to die, there is no heaven for me. And that is a frightful thing, as we heard the word that was given in tongues and interpretation. You know, if you don't have God, or if you, your life is a wasted one, and I was like that. So I cried out to God. I said, I don't remember word for word, but I cried out, God, do whatever you want with me. If you want me to go anywhere, I will go. If you want me to be anything in my life, that's what I want. Just save my life. And that day I was saved. I was born again. Everything changed. 
I had that peace, I had that joy, and everything I wanted from that time on is to tell other people about this life that I just found out. And later, two years later, we came in the States, and I'm trying to tell my friends, family about Jesus, trying to, and I wasn't good at it. And I thought to myself, if I could go study uh, the Bible a little more, probably I'll be better at telling people about Jesus. And so I came to North Point, that's really, I didn't really want to be a pastor or stand up here and tell you stuff. I just want to tell people how they can be saved, be born again, have joy and peace. And I'm there, we'll have missionaries would come and tell us about the unreached people groups or the never reached people. These are the people in different parts of the world where from the time they're born to the time they will die, they will probably never see a Christian, never meet one, never hear about Jesus, never see a church or be at one, never hold the Bible in their hands. And if they die, the truth is they will perish. Not because they hate Jesus, but because nobody ever told them about Jesus. And as a college student who wants to tell people about Jesus, I was like, well, it's not fair if I graduate and I could be here in America where there's pastors and Bibles at Walmart and everywhere, or I could go to places like those where I most likely be in a place where nobody has ever heard the gospel and they will hear me tell them about Jesus and that's how they will be saved. So I prayed about it. My junior year, I was convinced. I had the, you remember in Act 16, the man of Macedonia, he came in a dream to Paul, and he said, come to Macedonia and help us. In my junior year, I, I had this thought in the back of my head. What if I never go to be a missionary? It would be like these people, the Indonesians, would be in the back of my head saying, hey, why won't you come and tell us about Jesus so we can come over to Indonesia and help us? I can't live with that. So I say, I'm going to do whatever it takes and go. So I'm preparing to go to Indonesia as a missionary. I have prayer cards on the table. Do me a favor, pick one up, and just don't put it in your house anywhere. And pray, you know, and do better maybe. Get your family sick. Can we pray for Thierry? And that will make a difference to me and to you, actually. So stop by, grab one, and I have other materials you can come and see. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for having me. Thank you. All right. So Thierry will be with us on Friday night. We'll give him a 15-minute window with the other two missionaries to tell a little bit more about his calling and his passion for, for the uh, Indonesians. Thierry, it's so good to see you. You know, when Thierry was here, uh, he wor- worked with our youth group for at least a year or so, maybe more. And uh, he was always here. He was one of us for a couple of years. So it's good to have you back and hope, hope to see you again before you go to Indonesia. So uh, last week uh, we started this message, Go, Send, Really? Uh, based on this passage. And I gave a little bit of a history of the Assemblies of God. And I just want to reiterate some things in case you missed it. But it was established in 1914. At which time the, the leaders of that movement said, this will be the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. And so the whole premise of the assemblies was to be a, a vessel that God would use to evangelize the world. And between 1914 and 2020, 
It went from a group of 300 people in Hot Springs, Arkansas, to now 67 million adherents to this movement, the Assemblies of God movement, not to mention the other movements that that came off of this movement. But that is nothing short of miraculous to go from 300 to 67 million in the span of 100 years. And we attribute that to what, what the Lord said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Ghost comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, through the outermost parts of the world. And certainly it happened in the book of Acts. And in 1906 at the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, there was another revival. If you know church history, there was a great revival in L.A. at Azusa Street. And from 1906 to about 1914, uh, 15, uh, there was this great revival. Out of that revival, which was, by the way, multiracial, multidenominational, and people from all over the country came, and people from all over the world came and brought it back with them. We, we've heard stories of people coming from, I think there was a story of one of the African countries, someone heard about this, came over here, went to the revival, went back to where they come from over there, and brought the Pentecostal message over there, and it caught on like wildfire. And that happened all over the U.S., it happened in South America, Latin America. And so, so since then, you know, the Assemblies of God has been really focused on being evangelistic. Uh, last week we gave you the, the three uh, main purposes of the Assemblies of God Church, which is basically to evangelize, to have a place to worship, and a place where people can get built up in their faith. And that's what we do on a local level. We gave you the, the mission statement of New Life Christian Assembly, which is seek, grow, build. And so with all of that... In our DNA of this church, and it wasn't just with my doings, I've been here for 13 years, but prior to me being here, Pastor Kashner had it, before him, uh, Pastor Brazil had it, and before him there were a few other pastors that had this church. This church has always been missions-minded. And I said it last week that if there's any reason why this fellowship has any degree of success, it's because of two reasons. One reason is because we're we're a missions-minded church. And that, that's the DNA, that is the heart of God right there. Any church that has a heart for missions will get God's blessing on it, absolutely. But also because we have a group of people that pray every Monday night here. That's another reason why this church would be successful. So we take very seriously the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, to go into all the world, go to all the nations Preach the word of God. Make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And do it until Jesus comes back again. And so my my mission today, actually, was to finish last week's sermon. However, I want to go back into a little bit of last week's sermon and bring out some points before I introduce you to some of the missionaries that we currently support. So take your Bible, please. Those of you at home, take your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I know we were there last week, but I I looked at it again this week and I said, wow, there's something here. There's something here for us. And and my, my premise is that Luke 24, 44 to 49 is absolutely connected to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 11 through 7, 1. In other words, the Great Commission hinges upon our understanding of what Paul was bringing out in this, in this short passage of Scripture. And, and not only that, but not only our regard for missions, 2 Corinthians 6 has to do with our overall call as a people of God. But in that calling is a heart, 
and a passion for souls and for the lost. So, 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to start at verse number 11 today. He says in verse number 11, O Corinthians, that would be like me saying, O Haverolites, or O New Lifers, O New Life Christian Assembly of God. Those of you, oh, my heart is going out to you. My heart's going out to you all. He said, oh, Corinthians. He said, look, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. We've been an open book to you. Paraphrase, we've given you all we got. (laughs) We've given you our lives. Paul said, I not only gave you the word, I gave you my life. I gave you my blood, sweat, and tears. I sacrificed for you. I gave you everything. So he said, oh, Corinthians, we gave you everything. Our heart is wide open to you. And so we would proclaim to the church and to the community, this fellowship has been giving our heart to anyone who comes our way. Honest to goodness, we'll give our heart. We we will continue to give our heart is what we do. So he says, verse number 12, very interesting verse. He says, look, you're restricted, restricted, you're hindered, you're stymied, you're you're buffaloed, you're, you're standing still, you're not making progress. Not because of us. Because we've been an open book to you. We poured out to you. We've given you all everything. And we'll continue to give you everything. But you're, you're hindered in your walk by your own, what does it say? My New King James, your own affections, your own cares, your own worries, your own anxieties, your own stuff, your own baggage, your own life that you're living in in your mind. You can't go forward. But you can't say it's because we didn't give you the gospel. We gave you the gospel. But you're not getting, you're restricted in yourself. Because you're you're too wrapped up in your own cares. Your own affections. Whatever you're affectionately involved with. You know, you're doing that more than focusing on the word of God. Strong word right there. So verse 13, he says, now in return for this, in response to this situation, Paul says... I'm going to treat you like children, and I'm going to be like a parent to you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to you as my spiritual children, and, and I'm going to ask you to receive this with innocence and an open heart. And, and I, I love Paul's heart here, because what he's saying is, man, I want you to get this. So let's go back. You know, let's go back. I'm going to be like a father or a mother to you. I'm going to teach you something that you, I think you missed it and you need to know this. Otherwise, you're never going to really grow in your faith and in your walk with God. And you're never going to develop into the people of God that God wants you to be. Now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking missions minded, but it's way more than missions. It's everything in life. So he goes on to say, we read this last week, 14, 15, 16. And notice, notice the contrast here. Uh, the contrast, uh, do not be unequally, remember the key word was yoked. The operative word is yoked. We have to be involved with unsaved people. We live with them. We work with them. We, whatever, we're, they're in our families. We can't disappear and pretend there's no uh, ungodly people around. They're all over the place. The key word is yoked. Yoke. Tied up, you know, tied up with them in an uh, uh, interpersonal way. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness? Because it makes you think that in in Corinth, you know, we we know from study in Corinth that it was a pretty big city and a pretty immoral city. So it appears that some of the church members were dabbling. They were half in and half out. 
It sounds a little bit like today in some ways. But, you know, don't be unequally yoked. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness or sinfulness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Satan or Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. So he goes on and he he talks about this. But can you see the contrast? You're a child of God now. You're born again in the kingdom of God. You will never understand the deeper things of God if if you're on the fence. If you're straddling in the world and in the church. Or in the world or in the spirit. So he, he's, he's saying all these things. And, and then he says in verse 16, as God has said. And listen to, to what God has said. And, and here, by the way, verses 16 and 17. He's quoting little tidbits of verses from Ezekiel. From, uh, let me see. From Ezekiel, from Jeremiah, from Leviticus, from Isaiah, and from Samuel. He doesn't give the verse, uh, chapter and verse. He, it's just like on his mind. He's giving them biblical guidance from the Old Testament. But he's saying, as God has said, I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. So look, God wants to dwell with us. Like it's not a rarity God dwell with us. It's normal. He says, I will walk among my people. He wants to walk among us. Right? I will be their God. They shall be my people. Once they weren't a people, now they're the people of God. Therefore... You know, the Lord says, I want to do all that for you. Therefore, you've got to come out from among the ungodly. You've got to separate them from them, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then Paul wraps it up in chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promises that God will dwell with us. That God will walk with us. That God will be a father to us. That God will be with us no matter what happens in life. We have these promises. But because we have these promises, Paul says, Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So you can't be unholy and serve a holy God. Will he turn us away? Well, I'm not saying, what I'm saying is, he's waiting. He's waiting for the change to come. But to think you can do both is a misconception. But like I said, I'm thinking about we'll never understand missions, but it's more than missions. It's every aspect of our lives. We can't function. We can't do life the way we used to think we could do life if we've been touched by the Spirit of God. We can't, for many of us, we can't live the way we were brought up. And no disrespect to anybody's family. But we weren't brought up in Christian homes, so we can't, those values don't apply to us now. We've got to rise up and step away from those things. And so we can't live as the world lives around us. But this has tremendous implications for us. Tremendous. Well, take the political situation. Does it really matter who our president is when you think about it? Will that change how we worship God? It won't change how I worship God. But as a Christian person, I've got to pray for whomever's in office. That's my role. That's my purpose. And, I, and you know what? The country is so divided right now, and so is the church. It should not be divided, church. We should learn how to love and respect people regardless of what they believe in, uh, po- uh, political, politically. 
We have a higher authority. That authority's name is Jesus. But if you want to think like the world, you're going to have conflict. I'll guarantee it. But if you want to think as a Christian person, you know what? You, you find some common ground. I've had people on both sides of the fence saying, I can't fellowship with those people because of their political beliefs. On both sides. How do you win? You can't win with that. And my response is, come on, let's get over that. We're serving Jesus. We're not serving our president. We're not serving our political system. We're not serving America in that way. We're serving Jesus. Let's work together and get on with it. But it goes even deeper than that. That's just like a tip of the iceberg. This has been on my heart to say this. But if you're a Christian husband, man, you had a whole other set of values than a non-Christian husband. In other words, when you're a Christian husband, the Word of God says you've got to love your wife with respect and honor and, and take care of her and nurture her, protect her, provide for her, be there for her, listen to her. Hello? Listen to her? Well, the world would say, man, my wife drives me crazy. I can't listen to that anymore. But the Christian says, sit down, let's have a conversation. It's a whole, it's a deep thing that what I'm talking about. But you'll never get it unless you come out from among that way of thinking. And many of us were brought up that way. How do you treat women? How do you think of women? How do women think about men in general? Well, now that you're a Christian, you must have a godly perspective on how you view people. Now, how do you view people in a a different political system? How do you view that? You know, and and, and children. You know, I thought about this. In, In Ephesians, it says... Children, obey your parents. This is the first commandment with a promise. That if you obey your parents, you'll have a blessed life and you'll live a long life. Well, I, I'm still a child of, I'm an adult child. My mom's still alive. And I visit her. And I, I, I respect my mom. I want to love my mom. I do. But see, every one of us has to love our mother and father. And if you're a child here today, there's some kids here today, you've got to love and respect your mom and daddy. It's just what the word of God says. It's important to do that. And even at a young age, listen, it's, it's so true. At a young age, I, you know my story about the glory of God departing at around, around age two. When the terrible twos come, that's when the glory departs. The first two years is a blessing. After that, forget about it. But anyway, after the glory leaves, those kids have to be taught the word of God. And those kids are in a battle. They are in a battle at a young age to respect and honor mommy and daddy. You know, and mommy and daddy need a lot of prayers to to uh, to present Christ in a way that they could understand. So I, th- I think about these things like like uh, like 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 ladies. How do you look at men? You know, how do you look at men? Uh, men, how do you look at women? Uh, how do you look at your job? How do you look at your role uh, on your job? I, you know, before I was in the ministry, I had a few different jobs. Uh, one job, well, I was a house painter for a little. I, I was, uh, I worked in a prison for a couple of years. I worked at a, um, as a counselor. I worked for the uh, Greenwich, Connecticut Association for Retarded Citizens as a business manager. I was a Christian working in that environment. But I never, I, I, to tell you the truth, I always thought that my role in those secular jobs was, at, was to be a Christian in that role. Even though I had my limitations because there were laws that I couldn't do certain things, which I did a lot of anyway. But my, my being there was not about being a counselor or a business. My, my being there was to be a witness for the Lord. I want to ask you about your job. How do you feel about your, your job is not just a way for you to make money, you know. 
Your job is a place where you can go and be a witness for someone that would probably never in a million years come to this church right now. But if they see Jesus in you, guess what? They may become interested. You're there to be a witness for the Lord. But you'll never get that unless you come out from among that thinking that your job is your job to make money. So whatever's going on, and we could go on with this whole thing, but whatever you are, as a born-again believer, we must put God first and the Word of God first in our lives and step out and see what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We're, we're called to be salt and light of the world, of the earth. Jesus called us that. You're, you're light and you're salt. Go out and show forth your good works and let people glorify God because of your good works. And I'm just saying, we will never uh, achieve the, the, the stature that God wants us to achieve as a church, as a people of God, unless we get this in our heart and spirit. We cannot function as the world functions. Can't do it. We've got to see things from a biblical perspective. And when the Lord says to go, He doesn't mean think about it. And if you can't go, He means send. Can I just say something else while I'm on my roll right here? <laughs> you know, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, we have, we have promises. Church, we've got promises from God. We've got promises. He'll be with us. He'll dwell with us. He'll walk with us. Don't you want that? I want that. So, he says, so cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Man, the world is a dirty, nasty place. And we can't disappear. We're in it. We have to put safeguards up from it. Cleanse our flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Man, and thank the Lord for so many programs and so many parachurch organizations. If you have an addiction, if you need marriage counseling, if you're living together, not married, if, there's, if you have uh, different children from different people, there are so many churches and organizations that will help minister to you. But you've got to jump at the opportunity to receive the help and get your life straightened out as much as possible with God's help. You see what I'm saying? Like, like this, this, this passage covers everything in life. Missions is just a part of it. But you'll never get it if you're, if you're yoked with the world. And, and so the word of the Lord is just saying to us, you know what? Come out from among them. So we see our role as a church. We see our role uh, in the church we see that we are called to be a people of integrity. Everyone say this word, integrity. Say, integrity. Integrity. Say what you mean, mean what you say, do what you say you're going to do. You know what I mean? If you're going to be there at 2 o'clock, be there at 2 o'clock. Call them and tell them you can't be there at 2 o'clock. Whatever. Just do what you say. You know? Be, be the same publicly and privately. I had this talk with a pastor the other day. He said, I, I, he said, I always wonder about people that are one way in the pulpit, one way when you have lunch with them. I said, I've always had the same problem, that some people are really, you know, charismatic in the pulpit. Well, you go out to eat with them, man, they're like a dead fish. <laughs> and I never got that, you know, I never got that. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're called to be honorable, you know what I mean? If the, if the cashier gives you too much money, guess what, you give it back. You know, honorable, be honorable. 
um, be kind. Oh, we're called for to be kind, considerate, compassionate. We are. I had a friend. Uh, uh, he used to own a, a laundry, ma- uh, a dry cleaning business, and uh, <laughs> his name was Phil. And Phil said, "Man, I've given so much money to people over the years, and they never return. They always say they're going to return it, and they never bring it back. I give people their clothes for nothing, and blah 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 blah. And now he's a Christian, and he says, "But you know what?" It's okay. I just want to give and bless people out of the goodness of my heart. What a good attitude. Instead of the world would say, I'm getting a lawyer. I'm going after that guy. He owes me $300 or whatever. So anyway, we're called to be different. And in that calling, we're called to either go or send missionaries all over the world. Pray for them. Give money to them. And so on and so forth. So right now, I'm going to abbreviate this message and I just want you to turn on your, on your list of missionaries, the home missions group. I want to go over each missionary. There's 11 of them there. These are 11 missionaries that we currently support. We call them home missionaries because they're in the States. This is our Jerusalem, maybe our Judea a little bit, but our Jerusalem would be Haverhill. Our Judea would be New England, let's say. Uh, Samaria and the outermost parts of the world would be like... Uh, Latin America, and then the outermost parts of the world. But our Jerusalem is here locally. And so I want to I talk about these real quickly. The first one that we support, we get $50 a month, by the way. And uh, that comes out to $1,650 a month for all of these missionaries. Okay, that's for all of them. So the first one is Amira. Now, Amira, you may not know, maybe you know what it, what it is. We had Amira come to one of our banquets a few years ago. Stephanie Clark, wonderful sister in the Lord. Amira means princess. Amira is a ministry, it's a safe house for, for women that were caught up in human trafficking. Now that, that's something, that, that's a, making a statement upon our culture. This is, in, this is on the north shore of Boston. I, don't, I can't even tell you what city because I don't know what city. They don't want anyone to know. It's like because there's other problems associated. But we support Amira. It's a home where, where, you, where ladies live for a year or so to get their life together because they've been sexually abused in human trafficking. Can you believe that? This isn't China. This is USA. This is right, right outside of Boston, this is. Like probably 30 miles from here. So we're supporting this work. I think it's a great work. Uh, they give uh, housing, food, clothing, shelter, some counseling, some vocational training, and, and, of course, they give them Jesus. Common Ground Ministries. We are very invested in Common Ground Ministries. Ron Mills is the director. It's on Winter Street in Haverhill. Um, they are involved with the food bank, groceries. They work with the homeless. They work with the addicted locally. Uh, they have breakfast for them on Saturday and Sunday. They have lunches during the week. Uh, they have the cafe ministry, which we supply pulpit supply for. Pastor Wayne preaches. Pastor Bill is involved on there leading worship every Sunday morning at 9. Um, Pastor Bill is on their, on their board, actually. Uh, Millie Cobbett has been heavily involved as an advisor. I think Mike and Val have been involved in Common Ground. A lot of people have. And uh, we are very invested in them. Uh, but they are a great ministry here locally. And we love Common Ground, but what a great ministry. If you, if you want to volunteer, they're always looking for help. Let me know. Leaving the Streets Ministry. You know our brother Jesus and Wanda Ruiz? 
Uh, Jesus was uh, the leader, one of the presidents of the uh, Latin Kings in Bridgeport, Connecticut for many years. He's been in and out of prison most of his life. He got saved about five, six years ago. This brother's on fire for the Lord. He's doing a work in Haverhill called Leaving the Streets. They deal with gang member type people, uh, disenfranchised young people, people that are troubled, young people mostly. Uh, but he's involved with the police in a good way these days. Uh, <laughs> he's involved with... Uh, uh, family counseling and, and uh, helping families. They're, they're involved with uh, food pantry stuff and uh, clothing and so forth. Uh, New Brothers Fellowship. New Brothers Fellowship is a, is a prison aftercare ministry. Uh, they used to have in-house. I don't know that they're still doing that. But when the, when the guys or gals get out of prison, a lot of, a lot of people get saved in prison, but when they get out after, after six months, they're right back into their old life because they have no support. So New Brothers Fellowship gives them support. There's counseling. There's home group meetings and churches and all over Essex County. Uh, Doug and Caroline are good people, faithful servants of the Lord. Uh, they teach life skills counseling. They have a men's and women's group and is a very, very important uh, ministry. Uh, New Life Home for Women and Children in Manchester, New Hampshire. New Life Home for Women and Children is a... Uh, 18 to 24 month program uh, that caters to women with life controlling problems. Some of the women have children. This is one of the few programs that allows children to come because of the legalities of having kids involved with, with health and education and care. There's different rules and regulations, but they worked it out where they, they allow children to come there. And it's a tremendous ministry uh, up in Manchester. They have women from all over the country that come. Uh, Grace Rosado is the director, a friend of ours. Just a good, good ministry. Uh, teaching the Bible, uh, teaching uh, vocational skills, and so forth. Okay, Somebody Cares New England. Uh, Pastor Marlene Yo is the director. Uh, they are located on Washington Street in Haverhill. They're involved with food distribution, disaster relief, community involvement, crime prevention, block parties. They have Sunday services down there as well. Okay, Greg and Rita Detweiler. Greg and, Dita, Greg and Rita Detweiler have a very effective ministry uh, with intercultural ministry in Boston. It's multicultural, multi-denominational, and uh, they work with a whole assortment of different people, of various nationalities, races, colors, and even creeds, actually. They have different people from different faiths that they're involved with. They work with people that are immigrants, that have immigrated to the States and have legal problems. You know that's a great issue, right? This ministry helps these people get situated. Um, Greg is the one that uh, coined the phrase, uh, silent revival. And when he first said that several years ago, I, I, I asked him, what in the world does that mean? He said, all over Boston, people don't even know. The mainline churches don't even know. But there are hundreds and hundreds of small churches, 25, 30, 50 people from Cambodia, Nigeria, different parts of the world, the South American countries that have little fellowship groups in Boston. And these churches are on fire for God. He said, I call it a silent revival because these people are thriving in their faith and nobody even knows about it. He works with racial reconciliation. Um, uh, he works with uh, different ethnic churches. It's a great ministry. I'm so glad that we can support them. Uh, Rob and Sarah Malcolm and uh, Michael and Barbara Olajars are both involved with Chi Alpha Ministries. Chi Alpha is the Assembly of God missions work on U.S. colleges 
and uh, universities, campuses. Um, if you're not familiar with U.S. colleges and universities, can I just say, they are typically a dark place. There's a lot of ungodliness and unholiness there. And our young people, uh, it's like they leave, and even, even they leave churches after high school and go away to college, there's a very high percentage that never return to church because of their, their, their experiences in college grab their heart in a negative way. So these are missionaries on the front line. Uh, Brother Malcolm is on the campus of Yale New Haven. Yale New Haven is a very prestigious university. And so they have students from all over the world that come here to get their education, then go back to their countries in the Middle East, South America, etc. So what a great opportunity they have to share the love of God with these people. Uh, Olajars are in the national office. They oversee Chi Alpha over the whole nation. And then we have, we have Bloom. Bloom is a teen challenge ministry. You know, teen challenge used to be ministering to teenagers, but probably about 30 years ago or more, it shifted. Because teenagers have other legal issues as far as education and whatever, uh, health care, different things. So Teen Challenge basically now is 18 and above. It's not unusual for a 50-year-old to go to Teen Challenge, but it's still called Teen Challenge. But this Teen Challenge, called Bloom, caters to young girls that are between the ages of 12 and 18. Which tells you something, again, about our culture. There has to be a program for girls 12 to 18? Yeah, there, there does. There needs to be a lot more programs, too. These girls are confused. They're addicted to drugs or alcohol. They, they're rebellious. They're out of sorts. Their families are messed up. And somehow they, they find about, about Bloom, and they go for a six-month period. They get uh, counseling. They hear the Word of God, Bible studies, love, support, nurturing. All their needs are taken care of. Even uh, education is provided. And uh, then they get situated when they go back out with the church, with Christian people, to support them. I'm all for this program, I have to tell you. When I see young people in our church that are 12, 13, 14, you know, they're all pretty good kids, but there are some people, their peer group at school, they're having so many trouble. You see it in our community. There's so many young people that are troubled, that need a place like this. And so, anyway, so we're, we're supporting that. And then... Uh, Let's see, the last one I wanted to mention is Chris and Peggy Trombetta. Uh, They're pastoring a home missions church in Portland, Maine. You may not know the name because we supported them for many years as missionaries to Native Americans in the Dakotas and also in Massachusetts. But about two years ago, they decided to, they sensed the Lord leading them to pioneer a home church, uh, an American regular church in uh, Portland, Maine. So we've continued our support for them. Similar to uh, East Coast International Church, which is in Lynn, which we supported for years and years, but now they're doing pretty good on their own. So we withdrew our support from them, and they're self-standing, and we put our support for the Trombettas. Uh, you may know, or you may not know, but Chris's son, Gianni, and his girlfriend, Cece, attend our 9 o'clock service. Uh, they were here this morning. They're usually here. They sit in the corner over there. And uh, so it's a blessing to have Chris's son as a part of our fellowship. So on that note, I'm going to stop right there and, uh, and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17. Next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll finish the uh, list of missionaries, which will be the foreign missionaries. But, well, let me start at verse 16. As God has said, 
I will dwell with them, with my people. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I just want to conclude this by saying, can we endeavor to have a real heart for missions? Can we see the fields that are white for harvest? Can we, as we drive down the street, can we see our young people that are desperately looking for help and guidance? Can we have a burden for the people in our community, maybe families of those in our church? Can we begin to trust God to bless us financially that we could give towards our missions program? This is above our tithe. Our tithe. This is an addition to that. And I know people are going to say, well, you know, the COVID and this and that. And I, I know. I know all that. I'm dealing with that too. But the need is still there. And so if, if we want to see this with a spiritual eye, we cannot think and process like the world. I told you my story, and it is funny, but I'll repeat it. When, they, when people first told me about tithing was 10% of what you make, I honestly thought they made a mistake. I really did. And I told I said, that can't be right. Come on, that can't be right. You know? And then they told me, and they showed me. I said, oh, my goodness. I got to get my mind adjusted to the Word of God. I didn't know. In the same manner, we'll never get the picture to go into all the world if we're thinking like the world. We've got to think like Christ and see the world as a harvest field. And it begins right here in Haverhill. And so we, we want to raise, I think the total is probably around $22,000 a year to support this, you know? And then we have these other missionaries that we want to support. How can we not support Thierry? How, how can we not? We have to. How, how could we not support Rick and Julie Strumpfle that were part of our church for a couple of years? Now they're in the mission field to India. And not to mention, I, I could name others. We have, we have two more coming on Friday. I don't know. I, maybe it's me, but I just have a heart for these dear people. They call me up. I had a call two weeks ago from a brother that knew a friend of mine that's in the ministry in Western Mass, and he wanted to talk with me. I didn't know that at the time. So I said, yeah, we'll come over and talk. His ministry is, with the Assemblies of God, media ministry. I said, what do you mean? What do you do? You don't go anywhere? He goes, yeah, I go all over the, pl- I go all over the world, actually. But I fix, I, I fix uh, like, computer uh, presentations and Internet things. I, I make films and documentaries. I do teaching things for people. I'm all over the place. But I need, I'm a missionary, and I need support. My heart's breaking for this guy. So I don't know that we could support him. I said, well, we'll see what happens. I hope we can. But we can pray for him. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, one of the things that a pastor does and experiences is the need all over the world. Because people all the time, they're always calling the office. If they're not calling, they're sending me emails. And I don't, I don't blame them. I just, you know, it's just hard. But my heart goes out to them. And I, I want to do all that we can do to support as many as we can. You know, that's my, that's my mission. And I, I shared this the other, I don't know when. One of, the, one of the purposes of the American church, in my humble opinion, since we're in, a, in an affluent country, is to raise money for missions. 
the world depends upon the churches of America because we have the money. So that's part of our role, or part of our reason of being, is to raise money and either send or go and, and support missions. Okay, why don't we stand together? Uh, Lord willing, we'll finish. I still have four points to share that I've been sitting on for two weeks. <laughs> so hopefully I'll get to them next week. But every head bowed for just a moment. Because this, uh, we covered a lot of territory here, I know that. Those of you at home, please... Let, let, do a little soul searching right now. But I wonder if anyone's here, and, and apart from 2 Corinthians 6, where, where the church was restricted, they're, they're not going forward. It wasn't because of the, the ministry there. That wasn't it. It was because of their own affections, their own concerns, or their own problems. And I just want to give everyone an opportunity to lay those problems down at the cross. So there could be a problem. Let me, just, let me just rattle off a few things. There could be a problem with your ego, with your pride, with your tongue. Your words are bad. There could be a problem with, well, drugs or alcohol or pornography. There could be a problem with... Uh, your disposition. You're just an unhappy sort and you don't know what the problem is. You're worried about everything and you've never surrendered everything to God. And so what I'm saying is, as Paul said, look, as, as a father would say to a son, come on, God wants to walk with you. God wants to dwell with you. God wants to be your God. He wants you to be his people. But you've got to step out from among them. You've got to step out of the, the trap that you're in. You can't live in that stuff and expect to have God's blessing on you. So what Paul is saying, and, and, and Lord, Lord, help us with this. But Lord, the Lord is saying to us, you know, you, you can't live two lives. You, you can't live both ways. You're going to be miserable. Give up the one and live for the other. As it says in, in, in Revelation, I, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. It's time to get hot in the Lord. So is there anyone here today, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, no one looking around. You feel like God is calling you to step out of something that's been holding you back in your walk with God. Anyone like that at all? Yeah, all right, good. Good, 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 good. Does anyone feel like you know, that God is calling you to see the bigger picture of things, not only with missions, but with, with every aspect of your life, your job, your marriage, your kids, your parents. Anyone see that? Does anyone see that? Yeah. All right. And then the last thing is, is there anyone here that feels like, I will seek the Lord as to what he would want me to do with missions and my role in the church as well. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Yes? Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, this has been a... Uh, this has been a, uh, a... A personal time with you here today. I feel that. It's been personal. I feel, Lord, that you want to go deeper than the surface with us. I feel, Lord, that you, you, you love us and, and, and you like what we're doing. Like in those letters in Revelation, you like what we're doing. We're doing some good things. But you also want us to go deeper. You, you would have this against us. You want us to go deeper. 
And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would help us, Lord, because we need your help, not only to see it, but to do it. So, Lord, maybe we could see it, but we can't do it. So we need help to get it done. But, Lord, if there's sin in the camp, oh, God, forgive us. If there's sin in our lives, oh, God, forgive us. If we're embracing sin so tightly that we don't even realize it's sin anymore, Lord, convict us. Set us free. Lord, we're restricted, not by the word, not by the teaching. We're restricted by ourselves. We're holding ourselves back. So Lord, help us to let go. Help us to see that you really want to be our God. You really want to be in our lives. You really want to dwell among us. And not just on Sundays. You want to dwell with us every day. But Lord, help us now to come out from that way of thinking. And Lord, some of us, we were raised a certain way. We have certain values that are totally off base as far as the word of God. Lord, redo our, the wiring in our brain to see things from, from the Word of God's perspective and give us the faith to step out and embrace that and live in that, that we could see the bigger picture, that we are born again, new creations. We, we, we belong to Christ. We've been saved from darkness. We're walking in the light. Let us see it. Let us do it, O oh God. So I, I thank you, Lord, for this time, and I thank you for Missions Month. I pray, Lord, that... That will always be a missions-minded church, always, always, until you come back. I always, I also pray that we will always be a praying church, not only on Mondays but Sunday nights and whenever we gather to prayer. That we will be a praying church. So, Lord, may your blessing be upon everyone. Lord, let me just say this on behalf of everyone here or at home. Lord God, we know we're sinners. We know that we fall short. We've done bad things. But, Lord, we accept you as our personal Lord and Savior today. Lord, redo it, renew it, fix it, reestablish our walk with you. That when we walk out of here today, the weight of the world will be left here at the cross and we'll be free to serve you. Help us, Lord, to have determination to put you first and foremost in every aspect of our lives. So we thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon the congregation, upon families and kids. Let us go in victory. Let us have a great day today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.